Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series entitled Pray, Four Words, and once again we are joined by the Reverend Dr. Ed Glover of the Urban Impact Foundation. Pastor Ed will be taking us through the second of our four prayer words, and this week we are focusing on repentance. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, last week we talked about praise, and many of you want to thank you for the encouragement that you've given to me. A lot of, a lot of you texted, called and emailed, and I want to thank you for that. That encouraged me. I hope that this past week you put that into practice. and You feel a little bit lighter, a little bit stronger, a little bit more joy in your, in your step today. But today we're going to talk about repentance. But before we do that, this is Super Bowl Sunday, right? And they have a lot of soup out there that they have made. And it's amazing, all the people that have gone and made this soup. And I thank God, though, that they don't ask me to go out and test it all. You know, and have to pick a winner or something like that. But I encourage you to go out, have some fun with each other, and eat and have a good time. And then there's Amanda Wagner. Amanda Wagner is from our church. And she was called of God to come to Urban Impact Foundation. And he, her, and her husband now live on the north side. They raise their own support. And there they are making an impact for Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to go out and encourage her. Pray for her. Maybe get her card. Maybe support her. Because Urban Impact and all of that we're doing here, Urban Impact and Christ Church, we lock arms together. We've been doing it for 17 years. And we've been running the Lord's errands together. And I am thankful and grateful for the opportunity. So thank you. We're making a difference right here and also down on the north side of Pittsburgh. So do that if you can. Well, again, we're talking about repentance. But this morning we're in the second week of a four-week series. And the series is called Praying It Forward. And we're talking about four characteristics of prayer. And they are... Praising, repenting, asking, and yielding. And last week, I told you that the reason why we're looking at these four characteristics is because a Christian who doesn't have an effective prayer life cannot live an effective Christian life. Let me read that again. A Christian who doesn't have an effective prayer life cannot live an effective Christian life. So it's absolutely essential that we put these four characteristics into our lives, into practice each day. Last week we looked at the word praise and we looked at and we talked about the fact, we we really talked about what praise is, why we praise, and how we're to praise. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to get the, the sermon and listen to it so that you could put praise into your prayer life. Today we're looking at the second word, the second word of characteristic, if you will, to help us to be effective in our prayers. And that characteristic is repentance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I would ask right now that you would forgive me and cleanse me. I repent of my sin. I turn to you and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me. And you would speak through me to your people. And we as your people, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. A great pastor and biblical commentator, Matthew Henry, said this once. He said, it's not sinning that ruins men or women, but sinning and not repenting, falling and not getting up again. We all fall, but repentance is the act in which we get up again. It would seem in light of that that repentance would come very easy to us. It would be very natural. 
if for no other reason than our own concern for our own self-interest. But the reality is that we resist repentance. And the reason we resist it is because we don't understand it. And we don't understand it, and therefore we fear it. You see, repentance often gets a bad rap. It really does. It gets a bad rap. The mere mention of the word repent repels us. But repentance is something to be sought, something to be embraced, something to value. Why? Because repentance is the door to renewal. Let me say that again. Repentance is the door to renewal. Can you say that? Repentance is the door to renewal. And just not renewal, but renewal without regret. With sin, you always regret. But never with repenting of it. Never. So I say renewal without regret based on two things. One, because of the scriptures, and especially the scripture we're going to look at this morning. But also also the fact that I have been pastoring for 32 years. And I've never had anybody ever walk up to me and say, Pastor Head, Pastor Head. I almost said Pastor Head, didn't I? <laughs> That's hilarious. i got to remember that. Do you all remember that the TV station, as TV... The horse? How many of you remember that? Okay, Mr. Ed. Oh, I just done a horrible thing to myself. <laughs> but anyway, I've been pastoring for 32 years, and I've never had anybody ever walk up to me and say, Pastor Ed, I repented of my sin, and my life is a disaster. Never happened. Not once. Never had anybody say, man, I repented of my sin, now my life is in the toilet. Never. But if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. People coming up and say, oh, Pastor Ed, I wish I would have repented earlier of my sin. Oh, I wish I would have repented of my sin sooner. Oh, I wish I would have trusted God earlier and let go of my sin. If I did, I wouldn't be in this situation that I find myself in today. Over and over again. A regret for sin, but never for repentance. So why does repentance get such a bad rap? First of all, because we don't understand it. And second of all, because we then therefore fear it. But there's another reason. The reason is that you have an enemy of your soul. And he knows if you begin to understand it and actually begin to put it into practice, he won't be able to control you anymore. In some cases, he won't be able to own you any longer. Because once you begin to repent in your prayer life, all of a sudden your prayer life will become effective and you will become an effective Christian. So he's going to do everything he can in the media, everything you read, the thoughts that you have in your mind, your attitudes, your, the feelings that you have towards this, to make this a horrible thing. But in reality, it's the greatest thing that can ever really happen to you. Because what it does for us, as we're going to find today, is that it, we're going to find that it, is the, it brings with it hope absolute hope. But before I get into that, let me explain what is repentance. Repentance in the New Testament. The word repentance, it comes from a Greek, Greek word called meta, metanoia. Can you say that with me? Metanoia. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis from. And you know metamorphosis, it's a process, but what's it do? There's a true, complete transformation You see, you can't really experience transformation until you repent. 
What it really means is, is that we have a change of mind, a change of purpose. It specifically deals with sin. It's turning from sin. So here's our definition. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God with the intent to serve and to live for him. Can we read that together? Let's read that together. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God with the intent to serve and live for him. Good job. Way to lift your voice today. We see, what we're going to see today is that repentance brings with it hope. Hope that we do not have to continue in the way that we are. It's hope that we can change and we can change for the better. That's what repentance does. It gives you the opportunity that you're not stuck where you are. You don't have to be the way that it is. You can change. It actually changes you for the better. Without it, you stay the same. Oh man, what I just said to you is life-changing if you put it into practice. If you don't do it regularly in your life, you won't change. But if you too, there is tremendous hope that you're going to change. Let's learn together. Let's look at our passage this morning. Jesus is telling a parable, a parable about a son who rebels against his father. The son in the parable represents all of us because the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all, the son represents each and every one of us. But then in the passage, Jesus is going to refer to his father. But the father in the parable represents the heavenly father. And what Jesus is going to describe for us is that how the father responds to those of us who confess and repent of our sin and turn, come home. We're going to see in this passage how the father responds to you and to me. So there's three things. We're going to look at a son that rebels, a son that repents, and a father that restores. Verse 11, it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The youngest son is asking for his inheritance. But if you know anything about Jewish law, you know that it says there that the younger son was entitled to one third of his father's estate. But the Jewish culture says that the kids don't get their inheritance until their father dies. So what is this young man saying to his father? He's basically saying this. Hey dad. I don't want to wait around. Until you die. To get what's mine. As a matter of fact. As far as I'm concerned. You're as good as dead. To me. Now I'm a father. And I have three sons and a daughter. And if they ever said that to me. It would crush me. It would wound me deeply as a father. And what Jesus is saying to us is that when we sin, when we rebel against God, it wounds the heart of the father. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. There squandered his wealth in wild living. As soon as the boy got his money, he bolted. And he got as far away from his father and his family as he possibly could go. And then what did he do? He spent all his money on wild living, party, until his entire inheritance was gone. Was gone. You know, let me ask you a question. Where is the distant country? Where is that? Let me tell you where it is. It's wherever someone tries to live without God. Wherever someone tries to live 
without God? How do you know if you're heading out to the distant country? How do you know if you're going there? Well, there are signs. As a matter of fact, there's a number of signs. But I'm only going to go over four because that's all the time we have. First sign is that you become cold and indifferent towards God, the things of God, and God's people. Second, you're no longer excited about studying God's word. You're no longer excited about spending time with him in prayer. Third, you have little concern for the lost. And fourth, definitely not last but not least, is you're giving your leftovers to God rather than your first fruits. And all those are signs that you're headed off to the far country, to the distant land. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn from your sin and turn back to God. Because I'll guarantee you this, what we're going to learn is that God is wanting, watching, and waiting, and deeply desires to have you come home. Guarantee you that. Verse 14 says this, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. The boy, he spent all his money. He's blown all his money. Reaches down into his pocket. His pockets are empty. He's bankrupt. And to make even matters worse, a famine hits the land. And now he isn't with family. He doesn't have family. He doesn't have funds. And he doesn't have any food. And now the fun isn't fun any longer. And his future is bleak. He's absolutely destitute. So what does he do? He begins to do something for a stranger that he was unwilling to do for his father. And what is that? Work. Work. What's he do? He gets a job. And once he gets a job, he's getting a job slopping pigs on a pig farm. Now, if you know anything about Jewish law, you know this. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, it tells us that no Jewish person is ever to be associated, touch, eat, have anything to do with pigs. So this young man is doing something that he thought he would never do. If you would have went to him when he was at his father's house and said, hey, young man, you're going to slop pigs on a pig farm. He would have said, no way, never going to happen. But you know, that's where rebellion takes you. Rebellion takes you to places you thought you would never go. It takes you That you begin to hang around people you thought you would never hang around. It begins to help you say things and do things that you thought you would never do. You begin to laugh at things you should never laugh at. You begin to tolerate things that you should hate. You begin to look at things you have no business looking at. And then you begin to play with things that you should absolutely run from. For that's what rebellion does. It takes you to places. It gets you to say things and do things that you thought you would never do. And listen to me. It gets you to the place where you hang around people that encourage you in that. But let me say this to you. When you hang around those people, the Bible says very clear. Bad company corrupts morals. Good morals. You sleep with dogs, you get fleas. But here's the point. When you're hanging around with those people, they never ask you permission. It just goes down. And there you are, right in the middle of it. You know how many people I've had to deal with that are sitting there in jail, have records, have difficulty, and they they were just there, hanging around with the wrong people, 
at the wrong time. And their lives are devastated. That's where rebellion takes you. Verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one, hear me, no one gave him anything. Oh, wow, is that a picture of sin right there? No one gave him anything. When you're sinning, it's fun. There's a season that it's unbelievable. Then there's the kicks that have kickbacks. And where sin always leads you is to a dead end. Always. And then it leaves you there. It leaves you there either empty, hungry, wanting, or alone, or all of the above. I have no idea why our culture really promotes all of that stuff and then spends its life trying to destroy what repentance really means. Because sin always has regret, but never when you repent. Finally, this boy is sitting there in the pig pen. And he finally realizes how sin is ruining his life. And what does he do? He repents. And look what happens in verse 17 and 20. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Verse 18 is the key verse. It says again, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The son is sitting there in the pig pen. He finally realizes how sin is ruining his life. And what does he do? He repents. No, first he confesses. He confesses his sin. He admits that he's done wrong, that he sinned against God and his father. And do you notice that he doesn't make any excuses? He doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't try to run from it. He doesn't try to hide it. He comes clean. And he actually takes responsibility for his actions. That is true confession. True confession. But then what's he do? Then he repents. He confesses. Then he repents. Look what it says in verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father. You know those first two words? I will. What that, what's that saying? That's saying this. That his whole being was involved. Yes, his mind. His thinking. His heart, his emotions, his entire being. But his will, he comes with his will. A lot of times when we confess, we feel sorry. We're very sorry for what we've done and we ask God to forgive us. But not many of us ever really keep going and talk about how we need to change. How we bring our wills and repent. He says, I will set out and go back to my father. Verse 20. So he got up. And he went to his father. What's that? That's called repentance. Our, our definition is this. Repentance is turning from sin. Turning to God with the intent of what? To serve and to live for him. No longer for yourself. No longer for the world, the flesh and the devil. I am going to live for Jesus Christ. I am going to live for God. I am all in on this. That's called repentance. What we're learning from our passage this morning from this parable is this true change happens when we confess and repent can you say that with me when we confess and repent say it again when we confess and repent listen confession 
is the first step towards repentance. But it is never to be a substitute for repentance. Confession can never be a substitute for repentance. It leads you to it, but it's never a substitute. What do I mean? Let's go back to our parable. You remember the son, the son sitting in the pig pen. And there he sits. And if he would have just confessed his sin, God would have forgiven him. But the next day, where would he be? In the pig pen. And he would have confessed his sin, and where would he be? In the pig pen. The next day, he would confess his sin, and where would he be? In the pig pen. The only way you get out of the pig pen, here's your hope. The only way you get out of the pig pen is if you repent. He would have stayed in that pig pen for his entire life and never experienced true transformation in his life if he didn't repent. But because he repented and he went, God restored him. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But how does this work? You see, when you were born again of the Spirit, the day you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, in that moment you confessed and you repented. And many of us think that repentance is done then. It's like a one-time act. Yes, and salvation is a one-time act. The moment you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you repent of your sin, you are born again, born again of the Spirit. And the Spirit comes and lives within you. And you're a child of the living God. But from that day on, you need to walk with God. And how do you walk with God? By walking in the flesh. No, walking in the Spirit. Here's what happens. A lot of times, that... What that's called is sanctification. That how we walk with God. Remember we said repentance is metamorphosis. It's the idea of changing your life, transforming you, and it's a process. What you do in your prayer life is this. Yes, you confess your sin. But that's where most people stop. And they can't figure out why they're in this sin cycle. They just keep coming back to the pig pen. Keep coming back to the pig pen. Because you don't repent. It's not a one-time deal. Yes, for salvation, but not for sanctification. Every day that you sin, you have to do what? Repent. You have to turn from your sin and turn to God. Every day. And I'll guarantee you that most of you in this room are not practicing repentance every day. And you're asking this question in your heart and mind. Can God really help me? Yes, he can if you put into practice what he told us to do. Here it is. Here's the discipline. You confess. What's that mean? You confess your sin. And what happens to your sin? Like breathing. You exhale it. It's gone. Remember no more. But then what do you do? You repent. And you turn. And you. what happens? You inhale. You inhale the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there to come in your life to help you walk with Jesus. And what happens when you begin to confess... Exhale sin, repent, inhale the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, you're walking more in the Spirit than you are in the flesh. And guess what happens? You begin to find victory over sin and over temptation because you're walking with God each day. You're confessing, you're repenting, and it begins to work. So many people I deal with do not know how to do that, and they're stuck in the pig pen. You can get out. He can set you free. But hear, hear this, hear this. Sometimes you're caught in something. It's like a besetting sin. And all of us have them. Listen, Satan has a, re, a scouting report on every one of us in this room. And he knows what you struggle with. And he comes right there all the time. 
And what you need to do, you need to keep repenting and you keep confessing. Repenting and confessing. But sometimes you've got to fast. Because some stuff, just you don't break through unless you fast. And sometimes even after you fast, you still don't break through. And you know what you need to do? You need to go and get a brother. Jamie, come on up here. You need to come and you need to find a brother, if you're a brother. And if you're a sister, you find a sister. And find somebody that you can trust. And you confess and you repent. And what's the Bible said? Two or three are gathered in my name. Man, stuff happens. What Satan loves to do to us is help us to hold on to secrets. And he takes those secrets like a stick and he beats you with them. And what you have to do is sometimes you have to find a brother. You have to find a sister. And you have to agree in the name of Jesus Christ that you'll be released. Amen? That's how it works. So here's what I did this week. I told you last week that my wife and I have been struggling for a month. It's like we were just dry. You ever get dry before the Lord? There's like a deadness. It wasn't because of any particular sin. It's just because, here's what I've learned. God wanted to take us deeper. So he made us search for him. Seek him. And I told you last week I began to praise God and I was jumping around going crazy in my room. But last night my wife went to bed and I pulled out Psalm 51. I told you last week that the best thing you can do is begin to pray what? Scripture. Say it with me. Pray through Scripture. Because when you're praying Scripture, you're praying truth. You're going to learn how to confess. You're going to learn how to repent. So I grabbed a hold of Psalm 51. Why did I do that? Because that's the psalm that David confesses his sin and repents from his sin from Bathsheba. And I took that out and I began to pray that. Confessing and repenting. And it was unbelievable. Because what happens when you begin to repent and confess your sin? You sense the presence of God. I mean, when's the last time, seriously, that you really experience the presence of God? If you're not, I'm going to encourage you to do this this week. You pull up a chair and you imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ is in that chair. And you don't leave until you have a breakthrough. You begin to praise your God. You begin to confess and repent through scripture. And you stay there until you finally break through. And what I'm going to show you a little bit later is how, what will happen to you when you begin to do that. Let's get started on that. Because what happens is this. That what happens when you repent? A father. The father will restore you. Look what it says in the scriptures. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Look at those three words. The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Look at these words. He ran to his son. And then threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 21, the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know what? Remember in the, in this parable, the father in the, in the story is representation of the heavenly father. And Jesus is telling us this is the way that the Father, God, responds to those of us who confess and repent of sin. And what do we find here in the very beginning? That he saw him. His father saw his son. You know what that means? That means that God will never, ever, never, ever give up on you. Never. 
He was waiting, he was watching, and he wanted his son to come home. He never gave up. He looked every moment, waiting for his son. Soon as he saw him, what did he do? The Bible says that he ran to his son. And when he gets there, as a matter of fact, the only time that you see God running in the scriptures is right here. You won't find it anywhere else. And who's he running to? He's running to the one who confesses and repents of their sin. And when he runs, what's he do when he gets there? doesn't fold his arms and tell the boy all the things that he's done wrong. He doesn't point a finger in his face and tell him that he's a horrible person and screaming and yelling at him. He doesn't throw him under the bus or kick him to the curb. What does he do? It says there in the scriptures that he embraced him. He embraced him. And then it says that he kissed him. That word kissed in the Greek literally means he repeated it over and over and over again. Hear me. When you got saved, the moment you confessed and repented of your sin, that was a one-time act, and that's how God came running to you. But you as a believer, those of us who are believers, and we go to him every day, and we confess our sin and we repent, he comes to you. He's waiting, he's watching, he's wanting, and when you confess, he right there, scooping you up, smothering you with kisses from him. Are you experiencing that in your life? I just told you that last night I prayed that prayer and I sensed the presence of God. Are you? You can. But some of us need to go after it with all that we have until we have that breakthrough. Some of us need to go find a brother. Some of us need to go find a sister. Some of us might have to fast. But whatever it is, my friend, you begin, to, you begin to exercise the disciplines that God has given you, and you'll break through. Guarantee it. Now let me end with this. I've encouraged you as believers to pray and read through the scriptures. I encourage you to get a brother and a sister. I encourage you to fast. But there might be one of you in this room that you have never in your life ever asked Jesus Christ personally to be your Savior. You've been to church. You've been grew up in a, in a Christian home. <coughs> But you can't remember ever a day that you asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your home, into your life. I'm going to give you that opportunity right here and right now. Would you please bow your heads? The Bible says this, for God so loved you that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What you're going to do is you're going to transfer your trust to the Lord Jesus. You're going to believe what Jesus did on the cross he did for you and that he walked out of that grave. And the moment you ask God to forgive you and you repent of your sin, the Bible says that you're going to be born again of the Spirit. And the moment you're born again of the Spirit, you're going to become a child of the living God. If you're ready, and that's what you want to do, you want to confess and repent and ask Jesus to be your Savior, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, walked out of the grave for me, And now I confess my sin. I've sinned against you. And I turn from my sin. And I am giving my life over to you. And I'm asking for the fullness of your spirit to be in my life right now. I'm asking Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And Lord, help me to walk with you and live for you from this day on. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm going to ask that you would please come talk to myself or... Jamie or one of the pastors or maybe somebody who brought you. Let them know so that we can help you in your walk with the Lord. But as we prepare ourselves for communion, 
I want to encourage you to take this time. And if you haven't been confessing and repenting, take the time to do that. To prepare your heart so that we can be effective as believers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you as, the, as your people prepare their hearts. As we confess, as we repent, we pray, Lord, that you would visit us in a new and real way. And as we participate in communion, that, Lord, we'll come to this table knowing that you've forgiven us and you restored us. That your arms are around us and you're kissing us. You're hugging us because we're yours. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.